Welcome into another week's edition of Just In Sports. I'm your host, Justin Reedman. Hope you all are staying safe and having another fun day or as fun as you can in quarantine. So let's get this show on the road. This past Sunday ended, in my opinion, the best sports documentary series ever, The Last Dance, featuring the GOAT, Michael Jordan, and the Chicago Bulls. All I can say is it was amazing. It was beautiful. I'm so sad that it had to come to an end. These past Sunday nights were the best nights while trapped in quarantine. I have no idea what I'm going to do while trapped in my house still. So I have a special guest on this week's episode, my grandpa Joel Verder, And I wanted to bring him on this week because he lived through all the events seeing The Last Dance. and. I think what he found interesting and what I found interesting is going to be different because, as I said, he lived through it and I didn't get to witness Jordan play on the Bulls. And I want to ask, like, first, how are you doing today, Grandpa? I'm doing good. Thanks, Justin, for having me. Thank you for coming on. So you are my guest, so the floor is yours first. Well, I, I agree with you. I thoroughly enjoyed the series. I must say that even having lived through it, uh, there were things on there that I absolutely did not know. And one of the things to keep in mind is that in the 90s, uh, the internet was just, wasn't even really started. It was more like a web and a scientific kind of instrument. So we didn't have that. We didn't have cell phones. Uh, for the most part. Uh, we didn't have all the instant social media you have today. And so I think that creates a different environment um, on what we were able to find out and how soon we were able to find it out. I must say, I'm not sure that we're better off finding out all this stuff on a 24-hour news cycle than waiting for the morning paper to give us some of the news, but not every single detail. But for the most part, um, I agree with you. I, I thought it was pretty well done. Of course, you probably heard that Ken Burns, who did all those big series on NPR, thought it wasn't very good because he thought you shouldn't have a documentary with someone like Jordan having so much control. But I disagree with him. I don't think it was on any historical basis. It was more of an entertainment basis. Yeah. So I, I think it was good. So... I wanted to ask you, what did you find interesting and new since you got to witness the Jordan era? You got to see him, Scotty, Dennis, Kerr, Phil. You got to witness it all. What did you find new and interesting from it? Well, a lot of it has to do with uh, interactions. For example, like I said, in the 90s, we didn't get these kind of minute details into everyone's personality and things. And what I, what I found absolutely fascinating was how uh, Jordan motivated himself. I mean, from a simple thing as, I think it was George Call walked by him at a restaurant without saying hello. Yeah. And him mentioning that he and Carl were both Carolina alum and they both knew Smith, Dean Smith. 
So he took that as a personal affront and it motivated him the next day. Um, you know, the, the fact that uh, um, Malone got the MVP in 97, and Jordan's actually said, I think he said, I don't think he didn't deserve it, but I think what he really meant is I deserved it more than he did. Uh, so there's that. And um, I, I think just his motivation, I mean, the idea that he was sick on, the, on one of the finals, and I don't know what his illness was, although I suspect <laughs> it was not food poisoning. But naked, he was sick. And the fact that he could get himself up after being at two in the morning really sick and play the game he played, it's almost unbelievable that someone could have the mental capacity to overcome the physical capacity that he did that day. Do you have any thoughts about those things? He had that, he had that, Jordan had that mindset. He always had to be better than you. I mean, we've seen, it wasn't even just on the court, it was off the court. We saw in the medical room, which they call Jordan's office, they were, it was him, his security people, they were tossing coins around. He had to, to toss the furthest coin. He was competitive with everything. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, kind of what it's all about with him. Uh, one of the things that I, I kind of remember after one of the championships, uh, this may have been the one after his dad died or was killed, um, when he was clutching the trophy and sobbing. But we didn't see some of the aftermaths where they showed him laying on the floor in the locker room weeping. Um, to me, I mean, it does give insight into the humanity of him, but I think that was a bit much. I think that's very personal, and I'm not sure we had to see it. Although, as I say, it does uh, pull down the wall a bit from where everyone feels that he was this almost epic monster-like even <laughs> character as a, as a player, but that there was a deep human, human side to him. And that, that was kind of nice to see, sort of balanced it out a bit that was definitely a touching moment yeah did you want to say something else um i was just gonna move on to something stuff some stuff that i found interesting as well so okay. so before i get to jordan i i really found this whole pippin stuff interesting i mean he wasn't just this sharpshooter you see videos of he was a freak on defense too and the fact that Jerry Krause kept on just underpaying this guy was disrespectful. I mean, $2,770,000 after the rookie deal when restructuring, I just found that obnoxious, disrespectful. Well, uh, I can add something to that. Like I said, because of the difference in the news media and how messages are transmitted then and now, we didn't know about that. Okay, I'm not even sure we knew that Pippin said he, he wouldn't come back the following year. I, my memory can't place whether that happened or not, but I know we were unaware of the salary issues for sure. And really? of course, the Pippin-Jordan interaction was always shown as extremely positive. For example, we didn't know, uh, or I can't remember that we knew that he refused to go in for that last shot. In, in one of the games. Uh, we probably did, but 
I just don't remember it. I certainly don't remember it being uh, played up as well as much as it was on the show. And it's speaking about his relationship with Jordan. This kind of leads into my next point about Pippin. They tried dumping him at one point before, I believe, the last championship, and they wanted to trade him for Boston's draft pick to, tr- to draft Tracy McGrady. I don't think the Bulls could have won any of their championships without Pippen. Even that last one, I know he had that back injury, but I still think he was a key piece to all their championships. And I just still, I found that was disrespectful too. Yeah, and as you just pointed out, Michael was able to come back when he wasn't well. Pippen's back injury, in a way, was worse than Michael's eating a whole pizza and drinking whatever he was drinking, because I've been there and you can barely move with a back injury. So for him to perform even minutes was truly remarkable and a dedication to his, uh, and a a point in the dedication of his team, being a team player. Yeah. So the next thing I wanted to, next thing that stood out to me after Pippen were the Jordan rules. I, I always knew Jordan had this beef with Isaiah Thomas, but I finally saw this whole backstory about why the whole dream team backstory about why Isaiah Thomas wasn't allowed the Jordan rules. And what the Jordan rules were for listeners who might have not watched the last dance or aren't familiar with it. The early, in the late eighties and early nineties, the bad boy Detroit Pistons made these rules made these like it was basically the murder Michael in the court it looked like from the film and it it was with Bill Ambeer their big and Dennis Rodman who what a coincidence the Bulls signed Rodman which I found really interesting and Isaiah Thomas was part of the Detroit team and Detroit beat the Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals I just thought that was all crazy and then I can't believe they signed Dennis Rodman after all that. Well, one one of the uh, things that didn't get played up too much on the show was because it was about the Bulls and Michael, but the uh, the uh, Pistons, the Pistons in that era, late eighties, early nineties, were really known as the bullies of the league. It wasn't just the Bulls; they manhandled all of the of the plays, all of the teams that they played. Their whole idea was intimidation, physical abuse. And the coach, who by the way, was the coach of the Olympic team, uh, was there all that time. And so he kind of said it was okay to do that. He didn't appear to me when I was reading and listening to the games that he uh, ever came down and said, you know, guys, let's back off a little bit. He didn't do that. So, and of course, Isaiah was his player. It's unclear why Isaiah wasn't on the Olympic team. It probably had something to do with Jordan. But like I said, the coach of the Olympic team was the coach of the Bulls. What was your reaction in the 90s when you saw that Rodman got signed by Chicago? Um, It seemed a little unrealistic. (laughs) After playing with Detroit and doing the kinds of things he did to the Bulls uh, for him to go over and play with them. But I agree with you that, first of all, 
watching him play, I mean, you saw little vignettes of it, but I, I was watched a lot of the games and he was crazy rebounder. I mean, he was, yeah. but if you remember, he was very smart also. He watched films, he knew how people moved on the court, you know, where they might stay, where their balls might go. So he, he was very tactical in how he approached rebounding, but he, he was just a super rebounder. Very weird. You know, we always yeah. wondered what it would look like at the next game, but just an incredible rebounder. He's one of those guys. He can get away to go into Vegas and just have an awesome game the next night. <laughs> well, you know, that's kind of a tribute to Phil in a way. Phil understood his players. And yes. I'm sure if it was some sort of critical games or something, uh, he wouldn't have. But the fact that he understood his players enough to know to not come down hard on Dennis and to kind of give him a little rope, but then pull it back. Because remember, they didn't let him stay there forever. Um, he was a pretty sharp coach. Definitely. The whole triangle. I, I, I think that's a great, I think Phil's the greatest coach of all time. And I didn't know he played basketball himself. So he had two more championships with the Knicks. Yeah. In the uh, early seventies, the Knicks were quite a team. And interestingly enough, in one of their championship games, Willis Reed, who was their center, hurt his back. And at halftime, they didn't think he would come back out. But he came back out. And that in and of itself, he didn't play long, but that in and of itself created such an emotional high on the Knicks. I think that helped them go forward and win the game. Phil, of course, was a forward in those days, a game which was a lot different than the game we know today. Um, then he went on to be coached twice, and he's got 11 or 12 rings. I can't remember how many, but he, he's a pretty sharp guy. Yeah, so moving on, I the next thing that also stood out to me was that about the whole thing with Jordan's father getting murdered. I, I knew how he died. I knew that he got killed, but I didn't know that people were accusing Jordan for the death that people said that the his kill that Jordan's dad's killers were people he owed money to from gambling. I just thought that was gross, disgusting that people would even think he would do that. Well, Justin, I don't think that they came out and explicitly said that. What I believe happened in a lot of the news was implications. You know, was his gambling related to this? Was his activity, were his activities related to this? And where I take exception to is some of the reporters, some who are very good reporters, can't remember the lady's name, she was a TV reporter, was on the documentary, to even open her mouth and imply without any evidence whatsoever that this was a relationship that might exist. It's just beyond me how they, how they would do something like that to him. It's just, it was so, so wrong. Yeah, and if you knew anything about Michael Jordan, his father was always by his side. You know, when he won the championships, his father, the first guy next to him, his father would bring him kids to sign autographs for. Yeah, the relationship goes back to when he was a kid, obviously. And his parents brought him up yeah, very well. And his father gave him good advice. I think I recall that in high school, he wasn't that good. And over the summer, I think his father uh, stimulated him 
uh, by saying, you know, you have to work harder, and he did work harder. And that's eventually how he wound up in Carolina. So then came that whole rumor about when he retired, his first retirement, you know, his million retirement several times, and he went to go play baseball for the White Sox, the minor league. And everyone was saying that former commissioner David Stern gave him an 18-month suspension. What I thought was really cool was before David Stern passed away and got sick, that they were able to film every film everything in time, and they had David Stern confirm that he did not suspend him. Yeah, I mean that was another ludicrous implication, and um, without any evidence, I'm a little surprised that Stern didn't come out back then and say it. I'm not quite sure of the details there, but. I, I don't recall it one way or the other. Um, and, you know, Michael, partially he was tired after the three, but he had also had some interaction with his dad about play, playing baseball. Uh, at least that was what the report was. And so I think part of the motivation, especially after his dad died, was killed, was to see if he could play baseball for his father. Yeah, and that was and, the original sport, too. Yeah. You know, one of the uh, interesting uh, – we'll get to this later when you talk about the, the something else. Go ahead. Yeah, so I really just thought that was crazy. And before I get to the end – so I'm going to just close out that topic and just talk about the last couple things I found interesting in the documentary. And, I'm gonna, and the last two go to the last episodes this past weekend. and. The first one is where Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, said that he values the Chicago White Sox World Series trophy, I believe from 2005, more than the six Chicago Bulls trophies. Like, what in the world? You had the greatest player of all time in you, those trophies. You had Pippen, Rodman, Kerr, Kukoc. I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, both of those championships came off a of not – one, not two, but three championships in a row both times. That's just so impressive. Actually, that was the point that I was going to make, so I'm glad you had a chance to make it. Um, I was going to talk a little bit. Do we still have some time? Oh, of course, yes. Um, I was going to talk about Jerry Krause a bit. You know, he was basically portrayed in in the documentary as kind of like a pain in the ass and almost a dimwit at times. But let's back up a little bit. He did put the team together. He was instrumental in signing all those players and putting the team together. Now, I, I definitely don't agree with how he handled the last year. I mean, to me, Definitely. which, by the way, probably motivated both Phil and Michael to do what they did. But in any case, I, I find it incomprehensible that a general manager would, at the beginning of the year, in a team that had won uh, five of the last seven championships, tell them, this, the, Phil will not be the coach anymore, knowing full well that Michael was not going to play for anyone else. Now, the, the one thing I will give him is that, as you mentioned earlier, the way he treated Pippen, it's questionable whether Pippen would have come back, even if he offered him like 25 or 30 million for one year. So 
there's a piece of me that understands his motivation. I just don't understand. I don't think his methodology was right. And also, I think he should let him go for seven. Yeah. And back to the whole trophy thing. Do you even think White Sox first when you think baseball in Chicago? Or do you think Cubs? Because when I hear Chicago, I think Cubs. I hear Bulls. I hear Bears. I hear Blackhawks. And then I hear the White Sox. (laughs) Well, um, you may have the order a little messed up, but I think you're right. They certainly weren't number one. But, you know, maybe Reinsdorf is a baseball player and he just bought the Bulls because he had a lot of money. I don't know. But I, I thought that was a very bizarre comment that he made. Very true. So now to my last point that I found very interesting. So at the end of every documentary or movie based on a real story, they show you where everyone is today. And there were some things that stuck out to me. And one big thing was that at the, after the Bulls' last championship, when they wanted to rebuild, they released Dennis Rodman. They just they didn't try to get any picks for him. They just released him. And Rodman rele- went on to play another two years. He played on the Lakers the following year. And if I felt the Bulls wanted to rebuild, why not try to get at least a second-round pick for him? Yeah, you know, we don't know what goes on in the minds of uh, GMs and presidents. Ultimately, it comes down to uh, Reinsdorf because he's the money guy. Krauss can't do anything without him okaying the money. So we don't have the details on the interaction between Krauss and Reinsdorf, but some of it may have been driven by that, by finances. But given Krauss's statements, I think a lot of it was driven by Krauss deciding he could rebuild the whole team. We never get to find that. Well, actually, we do get to find that, that he never was able to do that. Again. Yeah. So those were my last words about the documentary. Do you have any more things you want to share before we uh, stop talking about that? Um, I just had a question for you. You know, everyone loves to compare uh, Michael Jordan and LeBron James these days. I wonder if you had any thoughts about uh, not them playing one on one, but just about their careers, how they stand up against each other. So I, I'm going to first say they play in two different eras. And LeBron is n- no – LeBron wouldn't be able to play the game he's playing, say, without Michael. He wouldn't have the sponsorships today without Michael. Michael was the first basketball player to have those sponsorships. To so be like Mike, the Air Jordans. And I don't think LeBron will be able to be where he is today without Michael. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I've always uh, disliked the course era comparisons. Like, you know, how do you compare Bill Russell, who was a true center, exactly, with almost anybody playing today, where center is not a big deal? Um, I think in their own rights, they're obviously great players. I think Jordan may have been a little bit more of a finesse player, and LeBron is more of um, kind of a linebacker playing a basketball game. I mean, if you've ever looked at their bodies, LeBron's upper body is easily that of a football player or, or even, well, I don't know what else. So Michael was never that, um, uh, didn't have the upper body that LeBron did. So, well, so I don't think Michael walked as much as LeBron does. <laughs> Six steps a game. <laughs> right. 
So that that was pretty much it for me. Unless you want to talk about something else. That was basically all I wanted to cover. So I want to move on now for my weekly segment of the funniest thing in sports media. So I'm going to start off and I'm going to stay inside with the last dance. So we all know Michael Jordan for his legendary flu game. Well, until this past weekend, where it turned out that he had food poisoning from a pizza he ordered late at night. So do you know how many years, Grandpa, they waited to put out this? Well, I don't think it came out until then. And, you know, the, the food poisoning, I think, is very questionable. I, I think, as I said earlier, he, he probably, if he ate the whole pizza and then drank some so-called adult beverages at 1 o'clock in the morning, um, I'm not surprised that he got sick. What it was from, I still is a mystery. So whether it was a sick, mysterious illness or, or food poisoning, it was 23 years. How, how funny is that? <laughs> His number, 23 yeah. years they waited? That, that's very interesting that you picked that up. And there, I'm a big sneakerhead. So I have, there, there are shoes out there called the flu game. And there's people on Twitter calling, that they, calling for Jordan to re-release the shoe called the food poisoning game shoes. <laughs> which is very important out there. That's interesting. Um, so is this the uh, segment where we tell what's funny in sports or? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, yes, yes. What, was, what did you find funny in sports media? Well, I found two things. One, as you know, we're all quarantined, but I think it was in New Jersey. Some woman was televised giving the rules of how to play tennis. And, you know, they had all these rules about you have to bring your own balls and you can't touch someone else's balls and well, on and on and on, which is actually ludicrous in tennis. But the thing that got me funny is that each person was supposed to mark his, his ball with an X or a Y or a Z or whatever. So everyone knew that they couldn't pick up that ball. Of course, after a while, all the balls from one player is probably on the other side and that, that would mess it up. The, the other thing that I really found humorous was uh, Kerr's speech when they had the ceremony after the sixth win, where basically was, you know, being uh, sarcastic and saying that he basically bailed Michael out, but that he wasn't going to do it anymore. I love Steve Kerr. I mean, not just that. My, mo my mom and I were actually just remembering when the Warriors won the first championship and Steve Kerr, that same personality when they interviewed him, he said, I had to teach Steph Curry how to be the best shooter in the league and have Klay Thompson live up to the expectations, teach Draymond Green how to defend like that and, you know, talk a little smack to people. I love Steve Kerr. Yeah, he's, he's a good guy. So, so, Grandpa, I want to thank you again for taking your time out and joining me today. Well, thank you. It was very enjoyable and I uh, wish you success. Thank you. So that wraps up this edition of Just in Sports. I'm your host, Justin Riemann. I'll speak to you next time.